Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis, and joining me to break down this week's news in media and marketing is Mumbrella's editor at large and the proprietor of Unmade. Live from Tasmania, well, not live, but from Tasmania, Tim Burrows. It's wet and it's windy, and I'm very happy to be here, Damien. We are very happy to have you, Tim. Also joining us, Mumbrella senior reporter Emma Shepherd. Hello. And beaming in from Melbourne, Mumbrella Cast producer Callum Jaspin. Hello from sunny Melbourne. Uh, later on, Cal is going to be interviewing Simon Ryan, majority shareholder and CEO of Australian indie holding group Ryancap, about why clients should be looking to Ryancap's agencies in the new digital economy. But I think we're going to get a lot more growth from international parent companies, you know, somewhat. Um, you know, they, because they're going through their own transformation, that, that, that we might have better serviceability for mm-hmm. some of that. So I think we'll get some growth there. If there's an end game for the group, you know, any business owner or any person who is working for a business or a mm-hmm. large corporate, you know, you, you do need to have an exit plan mm-hmm. or you do need to have a horizon point as to, to where you decide what to do next. And where new business wins are currently coming from. So a lot of the big consultancies are, are working with businesses that have $500 million worth of revenue. Now, if we can go to clients that have $50 million worth of revenue, 100 million, and actually make their business perform better, that's the sweet spot for us. But first up, Cal, two big talking points for this week, they are. Yeah, that's right, Damo. We've got a full rundown of Sevens 2022 upfront from programming to e-commerce, tech integration and more. And then in part two, we're going to be looking at Nun Media, who this week acquired performance agency Alley Group. So we'll take a look at who Alley Group is and what's in it for Nun Media. Let's get straight into it then. On Tuesday, Seven was the second free-to-air network to present its 2022 upfront with around 5,000 people tuning in to see James Warburton, the business's managing director and CEO, and other group executives and a range of on-screen talent reveal the year ahead. The business announced a wide-ranging slate of content, heavily focused on existing or refreshed formats, as well as the revival of some favourites such as Australian Idol. There was also a heavy focus on sport with the upcoming Ashes, the Winter Olympics and the 2022 Commonwealth Games. However, the network stopped short of announcing the rights to the 2024 Paris Olympics, which it has first claim to. Seven Shop was revealed, providing consumers with an on-screen shopping experience while watching TV programs on Seven Plus, as well as new data partnerships with Car Expert, Cricket Australia, Equifax, and Supercars, and a deal with Salesforce for Code Seven Plus. That is a lot. We've had a couple of days to sit on this one. Uh, was it what Seven needs to be competitive for the year ahead? Emma Shepherd, I'm going to start with you. Hello, hello. Um, Look, I feel like they did have quite a clear kind of content strategy in place, but I did feel like they did have a lot of uh, maybe too many refreshed formats. Um, And I'd be a bit nervous that, you know, audiences may drop off. um, And I think that advertisers may feel, you know, slightly nervous for that reason as well. 
Um, but if executed properly, I think that there's um, definitely potential to like lift audience share. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, but on the other hand, I think that they do have some major sporting events coming up. So definitely think that uh, there's a good chance to launch new programming through these events. Cal, you're an Australian Idol fan, aren't you? Is that what's gotten it for you? You're, you're excited about this? Yeah, that really pushed it over the line for me. Um, I'm just hoping to see, um, you know, they had some of their past stars, Malboy and Guy Sebastian on the uh, front. So if we can, um, you know, unearth a few more of them, then we'll all be happy. Now, um, I mean, personally, I, I, I wasn't too excited about the, the entertainment side of things. Um, I, do, I do get the shows like The Voice, which they uh, did heavily play up, you know, that um, stealing, well, not stealing, but bringing that across from Nine and reviving it, doing well, and Big Brother um, and Australian Idol. I, I see where that kind of puts them, um, but I do feel like they're going to be touching on a pretty similar audience across the shows. Uh, personally, for me, I'll be tuning into the Ashes, the Winter Olympics and um, the footy. I, 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 w- I would say I'd probably stop short of the Commonwealth Games. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a- another one that kind of stood out to me was focusing on um, bringing out Wayne Carey after you've just had Sam Burgess on the next season of SAS Australia. I'm not sure what that does for the image of the show with both of their past history and domestic abuse. I guess going up on a, a on a show like SAS, which kind of gives off slightly macho vibes, you kind of wonder what it does say for the image of that show and the network more generally. Yeah, look, it was a bit of a, uh, I guess, lower key up front in the sense that a lot of the shows that we saw uh, were shows that we're familiar with in, in some way, shape or form. We didn't get those big breaking news announcements that, hey, the journo in me was really hoping that that maybe we might get the Olympics. Oh, it would have been amazing if the NRL had been thrown in there somewhere, but that was probably a bit of a stretch. Tim, you've uh, written a, a pretty detailed post on Unmade as well about this and actually got to do your first Unmade podcast uh, with uh, Kurt Burnett from Seven as well. But what did you make of, of the upfront? Yeah, I, as you say, I, d- I did chat in that podcast to Natalie Harvey and um, Kurt Burnett from the sort of sales side of, of of Seven, and I guess yeah, while we stay focused on on the content, um, look, one of the things that strikes me about particularly the entertainment side of the lineup is, you know, as as Emma's nodded towards, I can't think of a time where there's been so little new risks taken. You know, if you look at the major shows across the year, the tentpole shows, there's not a single new format. Um, there's an awful lot of shiny floor shows, an awful lot of talent contests. So we got two series of The Voice in one year. We've got uh, Australia's Got Talent. We've got Australian Idol. Um, if you're talking about shiny floor shows, we've got Dancing with the Stars as well. Um now, I guess the argument in favour of that for Seven is if you've got all of the talent shows, then you can put them all on air at slightly you know different times of the year so they're not competing with each other. Um, you know, two, two series of Big Brother. So we've got Big Brother and Big Brother VIP. Um, MKR returns. Um, House Rules becomes Apartment Rules in, as it tries to get ever close to the block. And... 
And that was one of the things which I found was really telling. You know, I'm 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 looking as we speak at the big sort of slide that that went up on screen and sort of stayed up to finish the the, the upfronts. And um, apartment rules is missing altogether from the slide. And for me, that suggests that they're, you know, when they were maybe talking about the upfronts two months, three months out, they had something else they were hoping to announce that fell over for whatever reason. Apartment rules maybe went into the schedule quite late. So late they actually, well, either they forgot to put it in the in the schedule or maybe they're not confident of actually getting it in in the next calendar year. Um, so I thought that was that was maybe a bit bit of a kind of unconscious hint about um, where the priorities lie. That's interesting, also- actually, just to interrupt very quickly, because if they did that, they made a very quick call on getting Charlie Albone to get in, get up on the stage and, and talk about it uh, just slightly. Um, while we're on slight um, challenges, I, I guess for some, and me being the motorsport nut that I am, I found it quite interesting that they did as well a, a little chat with uh, supercar driver Mark Winterbottom about the, the Gen 3 cars that are coming to the supercar series uh, next year, were coming to the supercar series next year because only a few hours after that announcement, supercars announced that those cars wouldn't be coming next year. Uh, but it all just, you know, there was a, a few little uh, quirks there. I'll put it, sorry, Tim, I interrupted. Considering that James Warburton used to run supercars, you'd have thought they could have given him a heads up about that one. Quite, quite possibly you would have thought that, right? Yeah, but then sport is, you know, obviously in, in, in the schedule, you know, we already knew about the, the winter games for the Olympics. So so the, the Commonwealth Games, Birmingham in the UK was the, Again, the new announcement there, that sort of mid-year, I think, if I remember rightly, late July, early August. Now, obviously not a great time zone. You know, the the, the argument they, they, they make and they would always make as well goes on for enough hours that you get some of it, certainly in the evening time zone, for instance. So so fair enough. Um, but, um, but yeah, I must admit, I'd, I'd, I'd been expecting that if they were going to, have the olympics for um 2024 which is paris they would have announced it um now i suspect that the negotiations are carrying on i don't think they've passed on them yet um but i'm sure they were hoping to make that announcement because it was uh you know wasn't the sort of there, there was nothing in there to scare off any advertisers or marketers but equally it just felt like there was a little something missing so so we might hear about that one and then I'll of course the say thing- on that tim we um in our buyers responses this week that was a kind of common thread that we did get back from buyers was that it was potentially running it a little bit safe and not really taking any of those major risks but you know that's also kind of comes within the context of a of a pandemic so well, I did rather meanly ask Kurt and Natalie to nominate what they felt was the biggest risk in the schedule, and they they both struggled to answer that question. Um, which, you know, fair enough. If you're a marketer, you 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 actually you want certainty. You don't want risks. Um, so, you know, probably they'll be fine for next year. But it's where is the building going to come from there? Now, if you know, and we're just beginning to see a bit of reporting now, but there have been a couple of pieces in the Sydney Morning Herald hinting that we may see Seven and Foxtel come together to try and steal away NRL from Nine and, you know, put most of it on Foxtel and maybe Seven just gets to keep the 
um, state of origin or something, then if that happens and it still feels like the outside chance, then everything else is irrelevant because that changes the game so much. Um, so yeah, so it feels like yeah, this was a bit of a bit of an, an an interim in the end when it comes to the programming. So that's an interesting point. It's a bit of an interim, and uh, I feel like it was a similar sort of situation on the tech front, which has just become such a big talking point uh, in various upfronts. Maybe best to start with for those who don't know what happened at the seven upfronts on the tech front. Uh, M, if you don't mind just taking us through some of those announcements that that Seven made. So outside of content, obviously Seven will be launching Code Seven Plus um, to leverage its deal with Salesforce. Um, and the big question here was really how does that stack up with Nine's Galaxy? Um, you know, is there much here, or just kind of ticking boxes with a tech announcement um, that they had at the upfronts? Uh, most of the feedback from the buyers, I think Steve Allen really summed it up quite well. He said that Code 7 kind of matches and is on par with Nine's Galaxy offers. Um, you know, they're both, you know, quite much of a muchness. Obviously, both have Salesforce, um, a lot of similarities. Um, the only big difference that I noticed uh, with the two offerings um, that is the biggest difference is Nine don't have Galaxy on their prime time for their main channel whereas Code 7 Plus is all of their channels uh, and all of 7 West Media. So that was the biggest difference I saw in their tech offering. Yeah, we also heard a fair bit about 7 Shop as well, which allows consumers to purchase uh, essentially directly through uh, the the viewing that they're doing if they see something uh, in the shows that the actors might be wearing or whatnot that they're interested in. Uh, Tim, you spoke uh, to Kurt and Natalie a bit about that on the Unmade podcast uh, as well. Uh, overwhelmed or underwhelmed by that? Look, I've had a bit of a chance to think about it now. Now, firstly, when I first saw the announcement, I misunderstood. I, I rather thought this was Seven getting into commerce itself. So in other words, you know, becoming a direct shop window for you know, the audience being able to shop the program, so to speak. But in fact, it's, a, it's an additional service for um, for advertisers. And and I guess it feels like a little bit of a value add because how often in reality will it be, be people who are firstly choosing to be on um, 7 Plus and then secondly choosing to freeze the show just so they can see the device or outfit or whatever. So you could, so I think, it, it it feels like maybe it's a solution looking for a problem. Um, you know, I, you know, need a bit of technology, you know, if I'm an advertiser, I'm offered it. Sure. Great. But beyond that, not sure. You know, I'm kind of really excited to see what they do with the product um, on apartment rules, um, just to test that and see what kind of engagement they get. Um, and we know that like a lot of the buyers um, mostly seem that consumers are, you know, all for it and they're definitely going to be, you know, it's going to be working. Um, you know, you see off, looking off the back of Facebook and Instagram, um, you know, consumers are obviously making a lot of transactions there. So um, they do think that whilst they're watching a program, they're going to be doing a lot of e-commerce transactions as well. Um, like that instant gratification aspect as well. I just think personally, if I was watching a show and I had that pop up, it would be quite a distraction. So it's kind of that you know, whole viewer distraction versus viewer engagement debate. Um, maybe I'm just slightly a bit too old and not in that Gen Z category now. But, um, yeah, I think that for me personally, um, it would be quite frustrating 
I mean, I'm edging on that Gen Z category, um, and or the millennial category. You know, I I I think I kind of agree with you there. It might just be a little bit distracting. You kind of wonder how much attention they're going to be getting by you know having things pop up on your screen. Look, every time I see Charlie Albone do one of his rich grow ads, it makes me want to buy fertilizer. I'm just saying. So <laughs> maybe that will actually work. Anyway, moving quite quickly along, we're still going to be talking tech, but in a slightly different way because coming up next, uh, the big deal in indie media agency land as Nun Media acquires Ali Group. This week's Mumbrella Cast is brought to you by Sesame. Being chased by the content beast? Get Sesame magic marketing platform that creates and shares branded content at scale in no time. Slaughter the content beast with Sesame now. Go to sesame.com. That's S-E-S-I-M-I.com. One of Australia's biggest independent media agencies, Nun Media, acquired performance marketing agency Ali Group on Tuesday in a move that Matt Nunn said gives the agency full-service media integration and capabilities no other indie media agencies have in the market at the moment. Ali Group has clients, likes of Tinder and YouTube, and offices in both Sydney and LA, it's also been successful in the Umbrella Awards, which begs the question, Cal, why isn't Ali better known in the Australian industry and uh, what are the nuts and bolts of this deal? Um, yeah, as you say there, uh, why isn't it not better known? And I, I, I figured that when the name came up and I, in doing some preparation for the pod, I've done a bit of calling about and it isn't all too well known, even you know within some of the, the media circles. Um, it's been around since 2014, and as you mentioned there, picked up two Mumbrella Awards in 2018. So, I mean, we should be knowing about it, um, two of those being for Specialist Agency of the Year and for Data-Driven Marketing. Um, it was founded and run by Nick Lavage, who's a former uh, marketer himself at brands including 2XU and Oakley. Um, and I, I, I think he, I believe he started up the agency because he said he wanted to challenge what he called the broken agency model. Um, so yeah, I guess picking up as, as an acquisition, um, with about 50 staff, it's a fairly sizable acquisition for an indie, um, agency to be made, to be making. Um, and, and one would assume that it would cost a pretty penny at that as well, you know, being present in not only Sydney, but out in LA. I think it definitely does, um, the impression I get from a few sources to fill out an area for none. Uh, non-media that it has been significantly lacking in that uh, that being digital as more of a kind of traditional meat and potatoes style media um, indie which as it has been described to me so now in Sydney um, it's going to be fully integrated into that Sydney office despite uh, staying under the alley name Um, so it's going to be specifically for all of non-media's clients in Sydney it's going to be its digital performance agency, adding capabilities in search, social, programmatic, e-commerce, which gives none probably the most expansive set of indie capabilities in that market, you'd maybe think. Um, none obviously being having a bigger base down in Melbourne, it's really big, um, building out their capabilities there. But you do wonder um, how they're going to kind of bring that in and integrate it. 
And also it kind of begs the question, what have they been offering their clients in the digital space up until this point? Um, so I guess, what, I mean, as someone said to me uh, beforehand, if you were a client and you were really wanting digital growth, you maybe wouldn't have considered none beforehand. So this this probably puts them in the in the argument there. I have a bit of a theory as well on one of the reasons why maybe they haven't been on the radar as much. You know, there there is an argument that um, performance marketing is the absolute antithesis to brand building. You know, it's all about short term cost per acquisition, sometimes cost per sale. Um, you know, for marketers who are believers in the the whole Burnett and Field, the long and short of it, invest in long term up, you know, brand building, and that will then help your short term targets. Then you know they're the sort of people who are very very suspicious of performance marketing agencies. So I wonder whether that some of it is um, you know, probably Ali are not be- believers in even building their own brand. Um, you know, until uh, they have a reason for doing so. Um, and I suppose that's one thing which does interest me about this is, you know, if, if, if the old cliche used to be, if a client asked a media agency, what should they, what should they do? And the answer used to be a 30 second TV ad. I wonder whether Nunn's question will be a performance marketing campaign as their next answer. That's a really interesting point, Tim, because in my mind, the whole performance marketing scene is very similar to, to the social media scene in, in that everyone talks about it. Everyone seems to have an opinion about it. Very few people actually kind of understand the nuts and bolts of it. it it's all a, a bit uh, fuzzy at times. But uh, one of the things I'd like to throw your way, and I'll, I'll just say quickly before as well, you know, I've actually, even before I, I started working at, at Mumbrella, there was a, a time where I had a couple of meetings with Nick Laverage about working with him on, on a comms front. Um, one thing that did strike me about him, he's, he's a very intense and knowledgeable guy. He, he knows what he wants to achieve and he sort of uh, doesn't let anything get in the way of that. I'm surprised it took this long for Ali Group to be acquired uh, just you know by his personality, but uh Casting that slightly aside, the performance marketing scene, do you, in your, in your sort of experience, Tim, when something like this happens, does that then sort of open up the market a little bit more where we might see other media agencies take a closer look at, at other performance marketing agencies, for, for example? Will this be the start of a, a snowball trend uh, or not? Yeah, interesting question. And I, I find myself first of all thinking about um ipg media brands in their sort of early days as henry tager first set it up and it became effectively a house of services um you know so it wasn't just media agencies you know they 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 were doing stuff around branded content they were doing stuff you know almost dedicated kind of SEO at the time, certainly in search engine marketing, you know, and they, 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 they were creating a whole bunch of either, either buying or creating a whole bunch of spin-off services. So in that sort of portfolio, then sure, absolutely. It makes sense to, that it's one of the, the portfolio. Um, you know, 
like they're saying journalism two is a trend so let's wait till there's one more performance uh performance agency is picked up by a by a holding company and then then i guess we start sort of you know looking at that um and again when it comes to brands i'm not sure who the next largest would be actually that's a very good question to which I do not have an answer to. And the other thing that's I don't have That's because they a- don't build their brands because they're so short they term. <laughs> they need to read their Burnett and Field. Cal, Cal found a, 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 a drum clip that he should be playing there uh, at the start of the mumble. There we go. Thank you, Cal. That was brilliant. Well timed. You should have been a bit quicker on that one. The other thing that I don't know, which I was alluding to before Tim's uh, very apt um, bit of information there, uh, when I heard this news, I automatically thought, well, Ali Group name will go, everything will become non-media. Here's a great entry point into the US for non-media, being that Ali has offices in LA. That is not the case. Uh, the Ali name will remain. Uh, and as I understand it, none will not necessarily be setting up shop in the US. Cal, is that correct? If so, Why? Yes, I um I actually I spoke to uh Matt, Matthew Nunn again just this morning just to clarify a couple of these details before we jumped on the pod, um and it it is going to stay as it's standalone um in the states. I think that's because you know it, it has uh, Nunn said a lot of brand equity, um and as well as keeping the the brand in America, they've got global and US clients that they need to continue to service over there, um, as well as um, none saying they've recently, in, uh, well, in recent weeks, picked up four pieces of new business, which totals about $25 million. Um, I mean, you wonder why they wouldn't be integrating them. And as you'll hear later on in this podcast when um, we get to the interview with Simon Ryan, what he said, which I found was really interesting, was that with every acquisition he makes, and he said he's actively talking to half a dozen brands at a single time, uh, from day one, those are brought in and rebranded under his existing brands. Um, So I guess you would wonder why you want to keep digital and non-digital separate because, you know, media is media these days and digital is a big part of that now and into the future. Um, another one, another person suggested to me that maybe it's got something to do with the earnout. If the deal goes bad, maybe they've still got the name um, Ali to go ahead with. So, yeah, I mean, none called it the biggest indie acquisition of the year. And you, you again, you have to wonder uh what what title is that going up against? Like, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't really think of any huge big acquisitions. So, um, but yeah, certainly a good deal for them. It seems on um, face value. Yeah, that's a, an interesting point. Hmm, maybe Sling and Stone and VCCP. I'm yeah, I'm scratching my head a bit as well. But as you mentioned, Cal uh, Simon Ryan, which is apt because coming up next. You will be chatting with Ryan Capps uh, founder, Simon Ryan. Simon Ryan, CEO of Ryan Cap, an independent Australian holding group. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Simon, it'd be great to start by you just telling me a little bit more about one year in how Ryan Cap differentiates itself from other holding groups in Australia. Yeah, I think, um, you know, first of all, thanks for having me. And, and being 
one year in and being a, a one-year-old baby in what is a very uh, dynamic and mature industry in Australia has, you know, we've learnt a lot in the first year and we've learnt a lot, um, you know, from the people that we've hired. And I think we're very happy, you know, where we currently sit in the market. I think we've we've driven, you know, some some positive market change and some growth in the market for for us and some of our partners. And I think, you know, what we set out to to deliver um, from a, a strategic sort of rationale perspective was a, a fit for purpose, digitally focused company that comprises across sort of three key areas. And those key areas are obviously digital media, which is Rapid Media, uh, data and tech, which is Foxcatcher. And and the new business, as we launched mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, uh, tightrope around consultancy, which I'm happy to dig a bit deeper with you as we progress through the podcast, mate. But I think you know our our angle is that the, these businesses are fit um, for to challenge convention, to challenge the norm. Um, obviously, generating significant value in the digital economy for our clients, and that we move at speed. In what is our sort of ethos around a relentless ambition to build brands and change the world in which we operate in. So whilst that might sound very um, <laughs> um, lofty, it's important that businesses have a belief and we have a very strong belief in what we do for our clients. And, and I, I'm very happy in the first year that we've been able to come out and, and launch the three businesses. I think in what is a COVID year, there's not many businesses out there that have come out and launched businesses and hired high-performing talent, managing directors, senior people, consultants from, mm-hmm. from various um, organisations. So we've, you know, we've really worked hard to focus on our capability, hire the right people, and launch the three core businesses that, that I wanted to focus on as, as the primary shareholder of Ryan Cap, if you like. Um, you know, I, I said to, to a few people, including yourself, mate, over, over the recent months, that, that we really saw a gap in the market. And, and that gap was to focus on the digital landscape and doing it different and better versus our competitors and, and having a unitary structure that mm-hmm. we all work together on, uh, that we don't have the complication of, of other large international parent companies and seeking approvals, and cutting costs and all those things. I think... Being a being a relatively new business, but a high growth business has enabled us to focus on on that journey and really get the good people with an uncomplicated, um, non heavy structure to to deliver for our clients. So, yeah, in summary of the first year, I'm 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 really happy. We we do have a a mid term plan, mm-hmm. which uh, which is a, a you know sort of a, a a one to five year plan, which we're yeah. on track uh, with. Um, and yeah, I'm happy where that's at. You, you spoke about the three core uh, companies there. I, I think I read initially when you launched the company, uh, sorry, when you launched Ryancap, you spoke about five businesses within two years. Mm. Did something change there or you just kind of narrowed that oh, down? I can't, I can't remember if I said that, but, yeah. <laughs> no, I think, you know, we're in the midterm plan that we set out from the very start and, and you know, I, I, I sat down for, you know, sort of six months and devised the plan. Around around how we would grow and the three key areas that I mm-hmm. that I thought the business should focus on. I mean, Callum, it's not to suggest that the businesses will evolve into other things over the next few years, but mm-hmm. but we set a very clear midterm plan around focusing on media, data and tech, and consultancy. Um, they were the three areas that we wanted to focus on. To be fair, they're the three areas that I sort of know reasonably well, and I know a lot of people that operate in that area, which you've seen the yep. hires that we've made the the joint venture partnerships we've made um, over recent times. So they were the three key areas. 
I think that, you know, what we looked at to launch that, besides me knowing a little bit about or a lot about those areas and focusing on where I thought the growth um, plan would be, is that if you look at where the Australian market is, you know, we're approaching a $700 million media market. So, mm-hmm. and, a, and as every year goes, there's a large proportion of that moving to digital. So there's the opportunity there. In the data and tech space, you know, um, including um, IT spend, you, you know, you're really looking at a $95 billion market in Australia. So it's mm-hmm. huge. It's, a, it's it's probably one of the biggest spending hidden markets in Australia, in Australian corporate industry, but it's uh, approaching a $100 billion market at the moment, the data yeah. and tech space. So there's an opportunity to grow there. And then if you look at the, the consultancy space, you know, that that's that's growing quite um, large also, you know, $1.8 billion spent a year in, in transformation consulting. So if you look at those three key areas and if you were able then to focus on how do you do them different and better versus your competitors in an uncomplicated way, um, then you've got an opportunity to grow into that market. So that's that's the clear plan. I, the only other thing I would say around our sort of midterm plan is, is that, you know, the global, you know, competitive consolidation will continue. And I think if you... If you look at um, us growing quite exponentially as a business now across Melbourne and Brisbane and soon into Sydney, if you look at a lot of our sort of more traditional competitors, the large parent companies, and I say that because that's where I've come from. Yeah. So I have a great understanding and respect as to where those businesses are at. But if you look at the global competitive, you know, consolidation game, if you like, they're now, you know, driving less brands into the market. Yeah. And trying to consolidate, you know, their costs. Um, they're trying to focus on on less things, and they're trying to to transition their businesses quickly. Mm-hmm. The reality is, it will take them three to five years to transition their businesses to where they want to be. What that means is that gives companies like this one and others in the competitive set a real opportunity to grow through fast growth, immediate acquisitions, and fast um, talent. Um, acceleration to actually get reasonable market share. Yeah. So if you look at the pure numbers of it, you know, yes, the Australian market's um, positive and growing. Consolidation with our peers is is happening, and that then provides us with an opportunity to grow faster than we can do, do better work for clients in, in our view, and then also as we grow and as clients grow with us, then obviously we're we're growing as a business to to have a more meaningful market share position of the Australian market. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at, you know, we've organised ourselves so that we have a strong culture and the, the business in Australia will grow as a result of that. Um, and we may grow abroad as well mm-hmm. as we as we progress on that strategic plan. So you alluded to uh, just at the end there, um, you know, you've got this, I guess, interim five-year plan. Is there... Is there an end game for you with Ryan Cap? What what what's the kind of you know? It's it's an interesting question, and and I think that you know any business owner or any person who is working for a business or a mm-hmm. large corporate, you know, you you do need to have an exit plan, mm-hmm. or you do need to have a horizon point as to to where you decide what to do next. You know, I'm I'm really happy with the way this business is progressing. And, and I just want to keep growing it as, as we do. Um, you know, we, we've had some in, incoming phone calls, obviously, from, you know, people overseas are interested in our growth and our mm-hmm. strategic plan and our ability to navigate 
you know, the uh, the market in Australia and they can see us growing and that's all good. But our, our feedback has been that, you know, we're very concentrated on making sure that we fulfil our agenda, our strategic plan, um, and if we can do that for five years and beyond, even, that would be great. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, the first thing you need to look at is you build and retain and grow a great business that, that ultimately leaves a legacy behind to clients, your staff, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera. The other plan is, is that if you wanted to grow exponentially, then you may decide to um, raise further capital mm-hmm. and dissolve some of the business to, to grow it to a new level of market share. Um, the other opportunity is obviously trade sale. And this is, I'm talking generic here across most yeah. businesses, but you're asking me the question. So mm-hmm. the, the other opportunity is some form of trade sale, which, you know, I've, I've done a number of those um, on the other side over the last sort of 10 years of my career. Uh, at Dentsu with, you know, respect to, to what we did there at the time, I think it was very good and it's now set that business up for success. Um, and the other option is do you list? Mm-hmm. So there's there's four options in anyone's sort of um, bucket, if you like, when you're growing your business is build and retain. Yeah, I was going to say well, how long until, you know, former friends at the holding groups come circling. Yeah, look, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, look, we've got a plan and, and we're going to execute the plan. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm here to do. Um, Time's on my side to do it, so I'm going to do that. Um, the you know, if someone comes knocking, that's great. But I think you've got to stay true to your plan, and you've got to stay true to to your strategic play and to your team. Mm-hmm. Um, all the team within the businesses that we own um, are aware of our strategic plan, and they're all committed. Um, and you know, the management are certainly committed, and so are the staff. But it's really important, I think, that if you want to build a culture and build a business, you need to show your path forward. Yeah. And our path forward is to, is to build and grow. Yeah. And then, you know, whatever happens after a period of time happens. And you, we none of us have a crystal ball, so you don't know what that <laughs> is. But I think from my perspective as the, as the majority shareholder in the business, you know, you need something to do. Yeah. <laughs> and if you can build capability that has relevance and clients are prepared to, to you know, spend time with you to, help their businesses grow, then that's what we want to do. And you, you spoke just before about that kind of um, a couple of months ago, you used that investment-centric upscaling strategy to um, kind of take Foxcatcher uh, to the next level almost. Uh, I think you said before you've got about 40 staff permanently or more than that. In, in, more in, in Melbourne now. In yeah, Melbourne, we've yeah. we got about 50 staff in Melbourne, Brisbane, and then when we open Sydney in the new mm-hmm. year. That will grow there. I think we're we're at the stage where organic growth is going quite well, and we're pitching and winning, and mm-hmm. that's what I love doing. And for those of the people that have worked with me over the years, would know that you know I, I love a pitch, and, and I think that you know clients still like that as well. Are you still involved in I'm some of the, the yeah, pitching yeah. process? When, when the guys let me, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> when, you know, as long as I don't take over, bring you but in. <laughs> I think it's really important is that is that the, my responsibility is to ensure that the businesses. Are healthy mm-hmm. and have the right leadership, then it's the, the, the business leaders, and we've, we've hired, as you know, some, some high caliber people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's their role to run the businesses and, and run their own uh, you know, vision and mission to, to what they need to achieve to the mid term plan of, of Ryan Cap. Um, but so I, I do get involved and I do do the pitches with the guys, but, but I think as time evolves and my role expands to, you know, ensuring that the business geographically expands and then organically um, grows and then grows in its scale um, and continue to launch businesses to the capability that we've agreed, 
then that's my role. And then the guys actually run the businesses. But yeah, I, I mean, I love talking to the clients. I can't wait to go back and you know go to restaurants and things with them as well. But at the same time, I think the the important thing is right now I'm here to support all the staff, and uh, we're a growing business. Um, we're we're certainly not the size of some of the big internationals. Mm-hmm. However, we are winning business. Um, um, when we're going up against the internationals, which shows that we've got the right people, the right capability. And we spoke about this, uh, I believe, a fortnight ago. On, well, I spoke to you before we went on a, the Mumbrella Cast news chat um, following the launch of Tightrope, your new consultancy business. How does that fit in? I know it's it, it's maybe a little bit more unorthodox than some of the other holding groups. How does that fit into the business? And will you know bringing in Stein? Will how will that play off your other two businesses being rival? Uh, yeah. Meaning Fox Catcher. It's it's probably worth while um, me backtracking a little bit before I get into into Tyra because obviously Conrad um, and I are good mates and mm-hmm. you know, we, we talk almost daily and catch up when we're allowed. Um, you know, for a beer and a wine. So, you know, mm-hmm. we've, we've, and we've had a really good relationship to me at the two years, you know, about 10 years together there. So, you know, whilst his specialty has been what he's doing in Shadow Boxer, and then our sort of specialty based on my history was, was in the media, data, and tech side, um, you know, I said to him, you know, we should do something together and, and launch, and launch, um, Tightrope, which um, which we've, we've done and done that successfully. Um, very proud to have hired Stain and his his winning business, mm-hmm. uh, both organically um, from Conrad and and from uh, Ryan Cap clients also, which is really good. Um, we own the majority of, of that business, and, and Conrad is is a shareholder in that also through Shadowboxer. Um, you know, we're really happy that we've been able to finally come together and the next part of the, the jigsaw together for, for Ryan Cap. So we've got that very clear focus on, on media, data and tech and now consultancy. Hiring Stain was, um, a, a, you know, a very positive thing for the business. Um, he and his talents are sought after in the business, not only from his previous employer, but mm-hmm. competitive people in that space also. And I think by providing Stain with the opportunity um, to work with us together, with some with some great shareholders and and um, some um, big contacts in the business, if you like, with clients as well, and a solid pipeline of work coming through. Then he saw a different opportunity to to come out of where he was into into our business and really focus on a consultancy that that is a bit different. And I think you know, I, I did listen to um, what you and Damo were talking about on on your. Um, on your wrap-up of the week, which was interesting. So I think, you know, when the time's right, I would really encourage you to get together with Stain also and have that conversation yeah. with him. But, you know, from, from our perspective, you know, tightrope consulting um, helps businesses thrive in the new economy, and we call the new economy the digital economy. Yeah. Um, it will identify where they need to play, but at the same time, how do they transform their businesses to win? Because I think what you find is with a lot of businesses that that – go to consultancies, a lot of the big consultancies are, are working with businesses that have $500 million worth of revenue. Yeah. If we can go to clients that have $50 million of revenue, $100 million, and actually make their business perform better, that's the sweet spot for us. Okay, It's not suggesting that we can't do the $500 million business revenue consultancies, but it is a sweet spot where we believe that 
that a lot of people aren't being serviced. Mm -hmm. So our clear focus is, is um, we'll focus on businesses that, that want to reach sort of their next horizon of growth. Yeah. And, you know, we'll look at management papers or board papers and make sure that they've got the structure and the ability to get to that next stage. Because a lot of companies write these strategic plans and they sound good and the board sign them off and yes, we'll do that, but they then can't execute it. Yeah. So, so Tightrope will then go in and, and help them execute that strategy and work with them hand in hand to make sure that they're hitting their horizon point perspective. It, it is a boutique strategy um, consultancy and we've got to remember that and that's what we've got to stay you know, true to our core yeah. and really you know, grow that as, as time goes on. But I think based on the consultancies that we're winning at the moment, you know, we've got a very clear proposition. Mm -hmm. um, we can clearly articulate uh, the growth agenda that we can assist clients with, um, obviously utilising Conrad's experience with Shadowboxer, our experience at Ryan Capital, so with staying with his previous experience. Um, I can't give away any more names, but we have hired other people yeah. well to, to work in Tightrope, which uh, that will come out shortly, which mm -hmm. is exciting, and, and they are of um, uh, experience from the big consultancy firms, which, mm -hmm. is, which is great. Um, and we're not targeting them, just so we're, we're all clear. We, you know, we work with them in some way or form too. But what we want to do is, is bring in different capability, which is true to, to the tightrope consultancy ethos, to really help clients grow um, to achieve their business plan outcomes that they want to achieve. And in terms of the, the short term then, uh, outside of what you, as you say, can't talk about in terms of consultancy things, where are the? Where do you see the wins coming in the next six months for the for the rest of the business? Is there any sectors that you specifically see giving good returns? So, are you talking about consultancy and the wider part, or, or uh, a bit of both, and both. and rival, yeah. rival media and Foxcatcher? Yeah, I think um, yeah, it's interesting. As I said to you, I think that a lot of the the, the consolidation which is happening at parent companies, based on the conversations that, that I'm having with clients. Uh, and the other guys have had with clients is, is that some feel that they're not focusing on their businesses enough. Mm -hmm. So therefore, that enables us to to get some some growth um, from that, and to ultimately win clients. You know that that need to be serviced in a different way, and that's just a matter of the industry too. I mean, that just happens, right? Mm -hmm. So, but at the moment, I think a large part of the growth that we're getting from rival media is from clients that aren't being serviced well enough. Mm -hmm. So therefore, they're coming to us saying. You're relatively new to the market. You've clearly got the management in place that you need. We see that you're scaling and you're winning great brands and working with really good clients like we are and we're very proud to be, you know, working with the clients that we're working and you've seen those on the website or on the press releases that, that go out. But I think we're going to get a lot more growth from um, the international parent companies, you know, somewhat, um, you know, they, because they're going through their own transformation that, that, that we might have better serviceability for mm -hmm. some of that. So I think we'll get some growth there. I think that, you know, we're also getting a lot of briefs from startups, funded startups, which is interesting. So I think we're going to see some growth there. And I'm happy to say in the last sort of two weeks, we have won some work off, um, I would call them well-funded, highly highly valued startups, mm -hmm. which eventually then evolve into becoming large spending clients yeah. in the market. And they end up either listing or, or continuously attracting um, investment for growth. So we're working with a number of those two, which is really exciting. 
Um, so I think rival media has got a clear focus on the digital aspect, but at the same time is winning all types of media yeah. coming in. But as the, the, the industry evolves, it's going to be more digital anyway, so that matches the ESOS of that business. The data and tech side is interesting. So we're actually seeing a lot of consultancy work coming into Foxcatcher, and that, that work is this is what I know about my customer base. This is what I've got in, you know, in, 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 in the tool shed. Um, how do I better organise this? to be able to target people digitally to get a better outcome, a better return on investment based on what I've got. And what should my, my tech and data stack look like? Mm-hmm. What investment do I need to put in? It then flows into, into conversations around, well, how do I deploy my marketing dollars in an efficient way to achieve the targets that I need to get around audience and acquisition? So we're getting a lot of um, data and tech consultancy and then trading desk related um, work also using the, the Fox Catcher sort of proprietary system and tools. So we're seeing that. Then that goes to Tightrope, which is relatively new, um, and we've won quite a few projects. And you know we're already hiring because we need to. <laughs> um, and those staff are coming on board periodically between um, next week and uh, mid-November. Yeah, that's great. So the growth in that area is pretty much what I said before is around that sort of how do I get to the the growth horizon point um, and what do I need to do in digital transformation to then get to the next level of growth that I need to as a business. So we're getting new business organic um, and then pitching. Aside from that, you know, my role is obviously to focus on the Mm M&As. So we are actively, at any point in time, I am actively talking to at least half a dozen businesses Mm -hmm. around acquisition. Yeah. Um, And I... I approach that, you know, um, carefully and very, um, um, I'm very mindful of what, you know, business, where they're at in their horizon too. I think that, you know, I, I wouldn't be acquiring businesses that are sort of at the peak of their horizon. I think yeah. I'd be focusing on businesses that are that have got growth potential and are willing to work with a, with a high growth business such, such as ours. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only other important thing I'd say there, Callum, is that anything that we do look at acquiring, we rebrand from day one. Um, I'm not a believer of, of earnouts, um, and I'm not a believer of, of having more than the key brands that you actually want and need in the business because I think that just that just leads to, to client confusion and market confusion. Yeah, I was actually just about to go onto that. I know because we we briefly spoke about that the other week, um, and I guess uh, you know in in recent in recent weeks or months, you know, you've had. Uh, I think last week, WPP merged AKQO Media with Essence here in Australia as part of what they say is a global strategy to focus on fewer but stronger brands. And then your former agency, Dentsu, a couple of months ago, there was, well, in recent times, there's been a number of recent mergers, mm-hmm. rebrands, one of those being Isobar and Merkel coming together to become mm-hmm. BWN Isobar. A bit confusing um, at times. Mm-hmm. What, I just, as a as a former um, you know holding group man, be keen yeah. to get your thoughts on. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind. I mean, look, first of all, on the WPP side of things, I mean, they're, they're, in my view, they've always had way too many brands. Mm-hmm. Um, yet they're a very big scale business, and and you know, and a global business. So you know, you, you had you had all those things um, coming down to little old Australia to try and navigate. I think at one point they had like ninety brands or something, yeah. right? So I think. You know, from a when you're a scale business, you do things and requiring things and all that sort of thing. But I think, you know, those sort of businesses such as them, you know, they're going through the consolidation that we spoke about before, and you know, they need to sort of remove sort of legacy 
ways of doing things and then focus on the new norm, which is exactly what we're focusing on, not legacy, just the new norm. I think in, in relation to my existing employer, um, you know, I, I the best 10 years of my career there. So I've got nothing but good mm-hmm. to say about my time there. Um, I, I left um, because I just thought I couldn't grow it anymore. Yeah. Um, I'm a growth person um, and I like talking about growth and I like growing businesses that that have great potential over a long period of time. I, and I thought for me that that I hit that crescendo there. Very hard decision to leave, mate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm friends with a lot of people there, as I've, as I've said to many people over the last sort of year and still remain that. Um, and, and look, they've got their, they're, they're obviously, they've moved on to a few CEOs since since I was there. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, they've got their their strategic play and it's probably a global one and they've, you know, like all markets, they've got to toe the line. Um, and, yeah, it would be a tough gig. Yeah. <laughs> a tough gig because, you know, when you're there building it and then you've got to change it, it's not easy. Yeah. And um, something suggests that I wasn't up for the challenge, but I just felt that I'd done my work there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as I said, I spent nearly 10 years of my life there. Loved every bit of it. And um, I certainly had the autonomy um, from people like Jerry Borman, who was the global CEO at the time. Does that stop at a point, though, you know, having that autonomy? Oh, sure, sure. In, in any global business, mm-hmm. you've got to tap the line. But, yeah. I mean, in, in any... Um, big ASX-listed business, mm-hmm. you've got a total line too. You've got different pressures, yeah. So I think, you know, the beauty of doing what we're doing here now is that we are in control. Yeah. And we are the ones making decisions. And we are the ones who are deploying capital for growth. Um, we are the ones who are, who are partnering with clients and other partners to grow the business. And I think that the clients that we're working with are really seeing that enjoyment around our partnership model and a no-fuss model. I think, you know, if, if we needed to invest in a new part of tech for the business in Foxcatcher, we'll just do it. Yeah. You know, we don't need to um, ask questions and, and favours and can I do this and can I can't, <laughs> all that type of thing. I think that scale businesses will have um, relevance moving mm-hmm. forward. I think that they will be of different scale though. And I think in the next, you know, for those who haven't started yet or even for the ones that have started, they're probably three years away from, from fully realising the transformation that they need to go through to get where a lot of us already are at. Yeah. And, um, you know, you spoke, you spoke there about you've got a lot of friends at your old, uh, your old agency group there, Dentsu. Yeah. And you said last week or the week before that 70% of your staff was not ex-Dentsu. Yeah. A lot of the leadership are. <laughs> yeah, and, and I thought you might raise this. Look, mm-hmm. and that's not through um, uh, planning, mm-hmm. okay, just so we're clear. And, and you're right, I do have a lot of friends that, that still work there in, in Australia and, and overseas and mm-hmm. I completely respect them. We connect frequently. Um, I think, you know, when you start a business you, you, you and you're obviously outside, you're, you're not compete levels, which is very important, um, but you, you generally speak to people and people that have worked with you before who have enjoyed that journey would generally say, hey, yeah, you know, I know what you're doing, yeah. would you be interested? So I think, you know, I haven't actively gone out there and chased people. Yeah. Um, I think that it's been, you know, sort of 50-50 in, in we've hired. Yes, there are people from um, my existing employer that, that have joined the business. They're fine with that. Yeah. The existing employers are fine with that. I'm fine with that. Equally, we're now hiring people from people that 
from companies that we haven't worked yeah. with before, um, like we're staying as company. Yeah. So I think, you know, that will continue to grow. And you're right, there's, you know, out of all the people that we've hired, there's probably 30-odd percent that are from, from the existing employer. That's fine. And, and you know, yeah. we do that respectfully. We don't do it aggressively. We don't, we don't do it on purpose. Um, and at the same time, you know, we've got various people trying to poach our people too. So it's just, it's, it's a bit of a, there is a shortage in the industry, which, <clears throat> which many leaders have spoken about yeah. over the last sort of 12 months due to, due to the lockdowns. But what that has created is a bit of a vacuum for, for talent. And therefore, talent is worth so much more now when you can't get a lot of the people from overseas. So yeah. that then creates a bit of, as I said, a bit of a vacuum around um, the hiring capability that you can get in Australia. And um, just, just finally, I guess in the last 18 months, uh, it's been almost the perfect soil for businesses like yourself, uh, other other kind of industry leaders such as Chris Howitson, um, Conrad Spilver, who we mentioned before, going off and kind of going out on their own. Um, wh- why do you think now is, is the right time for these kind of startup businesses to be emerging? Uh, I think there's a multitude of factors. I think that what you'll find is, is as as a lot of the big global companies consolidate and change. I think you'll you generally find that there's a certain amount of people in those organisations that have a reluctance to change mm-hmm. and a reluctance to undo what they've done. <laughs> so therefore, they are looking for new opportunities, which has largely meant you know that there's been a number of um, agencies, probably less so agency groups mm-hmm. like we're doing, but there are more agencies popping up from individuals and. and groups of people that want to go out on their own because they want to be in control of their destiny and they, they don't want to toe the line around what someone says overseas, which is completely fine. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the first reason. I think the second reason is is that that clients are actually really looking for something different and they're looking for that personal um, attention. They're looking for the senior management. They're looking for, for, you know, CEOs to talk to CEOs. They're looking for CEOs to come in and talk to their teams when they're allowed. You know, they're looking for that greater interaction. They're looking for service. And it's not to suggest that, that a lot of businesses don't do that, but I think once you hit a certain stage in your career, you do want to be in control of your destiny. And then if you can bring along people on your journey to achieve your strategic plan, then those people are also connected with you and then have the same serviceability um, that you set with your clients and connectivity with your clients, and that can be different from, from some of our competitive set. So I think that's the second reason. I think I think the third reason is that the market is now dictating that from a marketing services perspective that the independents or, or independent groups or people that have worked with the big internationals have gained great experience, but now going out on their own, it's, it, it also creates... Um, a different ability to connect and a different cost structure. So, you know, and transparency is obviously very important also. So, again, not, not suggesting in any way or form that, that people aren't, aren't those things, but I think where clients and, and procurement get involved and pitch consultants and everything, the more and more independents that, that get invited, clients are actually seeing, geez, these guys are mm-hmm. good if not better. And we've certainly had that feedback based on a number of big pitches that we've done. We've spent the last two or three weeks doing some pretty big pitches also, which I'm waiting to hear on. Um, Some of them are listed businesses, some aren't listed businesses, but they're big private businesses. And the feedback we're getting is, geez, you guys are are pretty competitive based on the fact that you are an independent, growing, 
you know, sure, you've got the, the leadership factors, you know, you know, Simon and Joseph and Marcus and David and Stain and, and the Brisbane guys and the people that were hiring in Sydney. So we're getting that momentum now, which means that, that we are more competitive by pure nature of our growth and the fact that our capability is pretty good too. So I think there's, there's many combinations, but I think those three key factors are forcing new competitive levels. And I think clients are now thinking, you know, maybe we should give Rival Media or Foxcatcher or, or Ryan Capper a shot. Maybe we should put them up against the WPPs. Maybe mm-hmm. we should put them up against um, other big competitors because it's interesting. The feedback I've had is that, that our pitch and our um, platforms and our results-based um, approach is a lot more clear and definitive than some of the big parent companies. Mm-hmm. It's all certainly very interesting, as you say, and I look forward to uh, hearing about those wins uh, as soon as you're ready to share. Hopefully you will. (laughs) Well, Simon, it's been great having you on the podcast this week. Callum, it's a pleasure and thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And that's it for this week. Thanks again to our sponsor, Sesame, and to the the truly national Mumbrella cast team. Somewhat, we're missing a few states, but... uh, from uh, Melbourne, Callum Jasper in Sydney, Emma Shepherd, and in Tasmania, Tim Burrows. Thank you, Damien. Thank Always you a pleasure, much. never a chore. Thank you.